Ninth Story Studios, giving story a voice. You're listening to the Wicked Library. <laughs> Hello, kiddies! So, you want access to the Wicked Archives, do you? Well, it takes money to keep the lights on and keep our beasties fed. Trust me, you don't want them hungry. They might just start eating the writers and then where would we be? Visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash wickedlibrary and pledge your support to the show. For $2 a month, I'll give you a key to our collection of classic episodes. For $5 a month, I'll let you hear the bonus stories before the rest of our listeners. Even more tantalizing rewards await for those who want to sacrifice more to us. (laughs) Over 70 classic episodes are lurking deep in the private area of the library, just waiting to be heard by you. Pledge yourself to the library today, and you'll be ours forever. You're going to like it here, I think. (laughs) How much is it for people to enjoy the private area of the librarian, Dan? Hello, and welcome to episode number 912 of the Wicked Library. I'm Daniel Foytek, and I thank you for listening. The librarian asked me to remind you that our first written anthology, 13 Wicked Tales, is now available. The anthology includes a private collector story by Aaron Vleck, as well as all new tales by Stephanie M. Wytovich, C. Brian Brown, Christopher Long, Jessica McHugh, K.B. Goddard, Kelly Perkins, Lydia Peaver, Meg Haftall, Mike Pilgrim, Nelson W. Piles, Pippa Bailey, and Sebastian Bendix. The book also features beautiful cover art and illustrations by Jeanette Andromeda. It's a fantastic collection, and we know you'll want a copy for your very own Wicked Library. Get the print edition now or pre-order the Kindle for Halloween at thewickedlibrary.com forward slash read. Halloween is just a few days away, and we'll have a special treat just for you. Here are recording of the live performance at Aurora Theater, thanks to the amazing folks at Explore Gwinnett, who brought us into town as part of the Arttober celebration. The recording features three terrifying tales by Christopher Long, K.B. Goddard, and one by me and Nelson W. Piles. Today's episode features a dark tale by a new author to the show, Anne Chichester. Today's storyteller is our very own Nelson W. Piles, with a little bit of help from our executive producer, Cynthia Lohman, accompanied by a custom score written by our resident composer and executive producer, Nico Viteze of We Talk of Dreams. You can learn more about Anne and find links to her work at her bio page at thewickedlibrary.com. Now, let's get wicked. Ah, so you've come in search of a story, have you? Well, you've come to the right place. My private collection of dark tomes are hungry for your fear, filled with 
with stories that are sure to terrify, disturb, and delight. Be warned, though, these tales are not for sensitive listeners. You're going to hear things that will upset and quite possibly offend. Ah, here's a good one. Follow me now and we'll enjoy this tale together. It's story time at the Wicked Library. <laughs> I knew everything about you and I loved it all. I loved the way the sun sparkled on your hair, those long flowing tresses of chestnut that I longed to run my fingers through and bury my face in. But no, I am not to touch you. I loved how you eschewed chain stores, but still needed your morning caffeine fix, so you found the most run-down, out-of-the-way coffee shop you could, and when it was discovered by hipsters and became popular, you moved on to another one. You didn't care how the coffee tasted. You just wanted to support the underdog. I love the way your eyes sparkled when you discovered something new that excited you. I only ever met your gaze once, but it was enough for their image to be burned into my mind forever. Unfathomable gray depths deep enough to drown in. I knew your smile like I knew my own name, quick to come, but no less bright and dazzling and all-encompassing for its frequency. I knew the path you took to class every morning, leaving your apartment and your cat, double-checking to make sure you locked the front door, smart girl, with your earbuds and listening to the most obscure independent music or podcasts, walking down the street with long, easy strides, stopping for your morning coffee, and to chat with the barista, then continuing your stroll down the busy streets to the college. You never forgot to notice the world and the people around you, no matter how many times you took the same path although you never seemed to notice me. At least not after that one time. The first time that we met. It was summer. You ducked into my grocery store and picked up a fresh salad, some berries, and gluten-free bread for lunch. You came through my line, long hair flowing freely from your shoulders, a flower tucked behind your ear, a glint of silver from a necklace tucked into your shirt. You smiled that dazzling smile at me, and, and I was hooked. We made small talk. You told me it was such a lovely day you couldn't bear to be inside, so you were going to eat in the park. Lucky. I was so lucky that you were the last customer to come through my line before the end of my shift. I finished your transaction, fumbling your change a bit. Of course you paid. With cash and not a credit card, you know how credit card fees gouge small local stores like mine. I clocked out, took off my apron and rushed to the park, my heart thumping with fear that you might have changed your mind or finished your lunch and left already, but no, there you were. Sitting in the shade underneath a tree, your long legs folded underneath you, the tassels of your shawl pooling on the grass around you. You deliciously tore off pieces of the gluten-free bread I sold you and placed them in your mouth. It was like a renaissance painting come to life. Some kind of nymph or goddess lunching on the lawn right in front of me. You should have been surrounded by airy spirits proclaiming your beauty, not sweaty tourists discussing their next adventure to two loud voices. 
I saw someone approach you and then some dirty local who wanted to take you out for dinner. He didn't deserve to be in your presence. You weren't the type of girl to be taken out and shown a good time. You, you needed to be worshipped, protected, kept safe, and elevated from the filthy world below. I almost stepped in, but then I didn't need to. Hidden behind a tree, I was too far away to hear exactly what you said, but it must have been brilliant. You said a, a few words to him, and he laughed. Just like that. You resumed your lunch, and then you finished, packed up your things, and walked away, making sure to dispose of the used food containers in the appropriate receptacles. Recycling, paper, trash. Always so thoughtful. I had a decision to make in that moment, though it was really no decision at all. I, I couldn't lose you. I, I had never lived until I met you. Those other women who had captured my attention before meant nothing. This, this, was true love. I, I couldn't let it go. So I followed you. I I'm sorry that I couldn't ask your permission. I was simply smitten with you. If we had been born a, a few hundred years ago, I would have immediately gone to your father's house and asked for your hand in marriage, pledging to complete any feats of strength he might demand to prove my worthiness. But the days of knights and maidens had long since passed, though chivalry is not dead, will never be dead as long as men like me swear to uphold it. And I was an unattractive, unworthy fellow, and I did not know where your father lived or even where you lived. And the only one of those obstacles I could overcome was the last one. So I trailed after you, excitement making me giddy as a schoolboy, fear prickling the back of my head lest you notice me before you made it home. But no, no, you didn't notice me, the heavy, ugly slob stringing along behind you, silent as a shadow. And then we were there, your apartment building. I didn't dare try to follow you inside that day. I, I just crossed the street and watched the building face until I saw you enter your own apartment. Third one from the left on the second floor. Lucky, so lucky that you lived on a level low enough that I could spot you from the street, even though it was such a tall building. I left you that day, my feet seeming to hover just off the pavement as though I might float away at any moment with this joy of it. You, my perfect, beautiful maiden. Surely, you would be the one to complete me to make all my long days of loneliness end. I knew where you lived now, but there was so much more to learn. I followed you for months, tracing the paths you made through the city to school for classes, to the studio for practice and homework. Of course you were an art student, hoping to bring some beauty into the world, and of course you worked longer and harder than anyone else, determined to be the best you could possibly be. To the movie theater, where you worked for a few weeks after I met you, but quit because your manager was a creep. I admired you so much for that, having the strength to stand up for yourself. He didn't deserve you. <laughs> no one could. I was so happy when you got a new job at the art museum. You didn't belong amidst the banality of the newest summer blockbuster. It, it was so much more right for you to be in some place more reverent, surrounded by statues of ancient goddesses that somehow 
all looked like you. Then Labor Day approached. I was in agony. I saw you packing. Knew that you would be leaving school to visit home for the long weekend. Should I follow you? Were we ready for that? Yet? For me to meet your family? A chill ran through me at the thought of it, but... Wait. You, you weren't taking your cat with you. Ah, thought. You would need someone to take care of her while you were gone. I watched so closely, saw you ask one of your classmates to check in on her, feed her pet her, just a few times while you were gone, and you would be back soon, you promised. You would leave your key under the doormat in the hallway. And so my decision was made. I watched you from across the street on that last day, packing the very last bag. You, you packed light, I admired that. Double-checking to make sure you had everything, giving the cat one last pat on the head and sweeping out the door. A few minutes later, I saw you step onto the street, look around, find your Uber, and be carried away. I followed one of your neighbors into the building nonchalantly. Really, this security system is entirely too easy to bypass. Took the stairs and counted doors until I found myself in front of the door that I knew must be yours. 203. Of course. I could almost smell you that fresh scent like the earth after rain. Though, of course, you don't wear a perfume. That's... that's just how you smell. Lingering in the air, I picked up the corner of your doormat, and there it was. Like an invitation. Your key. What a foolish girl you were to leave your key out like that. You were practically asking for a break-in. I couldn't just leave it there. You leave you vulnerable. There are so many creeps in this city. I almost took the key and left it inside, but no. Then your neighbor might come by and notice it was gone and alert you. So, I took the key with me and had a copy made, quick as a flash, and then returned to your apartment and let myself in, leaving the key under your mat. I would stay to watch over your home and hide whenever your neighbor came by to check on the cat. I would keep you safe. I entered into your apartment for the first time with timidity and excitement. Relishing the idea of being in your space, being closer to you than I had ever been before. I was immediately struck, overwhelmed even by that intoxicating scent of you. I breathed it in deeply, greedily, as a man in the desert given water, carefully as a wine connoisseur sipping a new vintage. That indescribable essence of you. I was distracted by the sound of metallic jingling from your cat's collar as she came to inspect me. She didn't seem to like me at first, though she warmed up to me eventually. I crouched down to check her collar, curious to know what you had named her. No doubt something whimsical and intelligent, and thinking that I might find your phone number that way, but there was no name tag on the collar. Just her rabies tags and a little round pendant with a five-pointed star. Odd, she looked at me with large, luminous eyes that almost reminded me of yours, though hers were far more judgmental and accusatory. She stared at me for a long moment, then sauntered off when I tried to pet her. Something I've never liked about cats. 
you can never really know what they're thinking. But of course, if, if you loved cats, I must endeavor to do the same. I stood up and looked around. The apartment was a tiny studio, hardly enough to really qualify as a living space. You deserved so much more than this, but space was scarce in the city, and the fact that you were able to live by yourself was mind-boggling. How hard you must have worked for this, this little space to call your own. It was perfect. Almost like a theatrical set, somehow. Nothing... Out of place, each knick-knack was placed artistically to create a light, bright feeling, a, a refuge from the chaos of the city outside. Aside from the bathroom and the closet, everything was all in one room, so small that your bed very narrowly escaped blocking the refrigerator door, and yet somehow it felt spacious and welcoming and the cat freely twined herself in and around the few pieces of furniture. It was perfect. The kind of place I would love to come home to each night. To come home to you. But just then, the thought struck me that there was no good place for me to hide myself whenever your friend came over to check on the cat. I looked in the bathroom. I, I could try hiding behind the shower curtain, but that didn't seem secure enough. I searched around more. I... I couldn't squeeze into any of your kitchen cabinets. Wait, there was there was a closet. I looked through the clothes, too focused on my mission to notice anything other than that they were lovely. Something caught my eye as I searched through a section of pastel dresses, something behind the clothes. There was a little door. I bent down trying not to disturb the shoes on the floor and looked more closely at it. I tried the handle and it opened easily onto a small crawl space. It was mercifully empty and plenty large enough to fit my substantial frame. Experimentally, I crawled inside and found it as comfortable as such a small space could possibly be. There. <laughs> that would do. That problem solved, I emerged from my hiding place and looked around your apartment again soaking in the presence that you left behind. I looked in your cupboards, curious about what you like to eat. Everything seemed to be gluten-free and vegan. You were so very conscientious, weren't you? My, my fingers danced over your jewelry collection, crystals and stones glided over the candles and herbs and books that decorated every horizontal surface. I picked up your hairbrush and found a few stray hairs clinging from its brushes. I, I held it to my face and breathed deeply, imagining that you were there with me. Pardon me, but I stole a few discarded hairs and twined them around my hand. I wanted to carry you with me. I dared not lay on your bed, but I did look at it. How fortunate it was to hold you when you're most vulnerable intimate moments. I looked through your medicine cabinet, your your clothes and your closet, every drawer and shelf and nook and cranny desperate to understand you more through the space in which you lived every day. I felt that I had crawled inside your mind and I loved it. I spent the next few days in your apartment, hiding whenever your friend came by. 
She did an adequate job of checking on the cat, but did not seem to respect your space as much as I thought proper. I would inspect your belongings over and over again, pet and talk with your cat, leaving only briefly to get food to sustain myself. I was careful to respect this sacred shrine of you and put everything just where you had left as soon as I was done admiring it. I was here to keep you and your home safe, not to disturb you by alerting you to my uninvited presence. And then, the most wonderful and terrible thing happened. You came home. I had meant to leave as soon as you were back safely, I promise I did, but you arrived sooner than I had expected and I was still there so I dove into the crawl space behind your closet. From there I listened to you come in and greet your cat. I was so eager to hear what you called her and so surprised that you only referred to her as Cat. Could that really be your cat's name? It was not at all what I was expecting. You didn't speak to her in the baby voice so many of us use. When speaking to animals, you addressed her almost like she were an adult human being whom you fully expected to respond to your inquiries of how she was doing and if anything interesting happened while you were gone. She meowed at you, and then there was a moment of quiet, as if you were listening, and something floating in the air which was not quite a whisper, but might have been, almost was, Probably it was just something that I overheard from the neighbors. And then you began unpacking, putting things away in their proper place, even though you must have been tired and just wanted to sit down. You were so neat and organized, you couldn't leave things for later. You came to hang clothes up in your closet and I dared to crack the door, just a sliver so that I could get a peek at you. You didn't see me, but... I saw just a glimpse of your leg, clad in denim, with your perfect bare foot beneath. My heart thumped at your loveliness so loud I felt sure you must have noticed. But you didn't. And then you made yourself something to eat, and you listened to some music and did some drawing and some reading, and then you went to bed. And I was still inside your apartment. I was pulled in two directions at once. Did I leave you now that you were back and could recover your key and keep your apartment safe, or did I stay and protect you still? I waited until I felt sure that you were sleeping deeply enough not to wake, and then I slowly crept out of my hiding place. Quiet as a thought, I pushed through your clothes and shoes, slid the closet door open, and saw you sleeping there in your bed with your cat curled up beside you. The moonlight streamed through the window on your perfect face, like a renaissance sculpture of a sleeping goddess. So perfect. Your chest rose and fell, and I was entranced. The cat stared at me with those luminous eyes, but she did not move or make a sound. Merely watched me as I watched you. I couldn't leave you now, not when you were so vulnerable. So I sat on the floor and I watched over you all night. Weeks passed in this fashion, minutes slipping into hours, hours dissolving into days. I would hide whenever you were in your apartment and awake, and when you slept I watched over you. 
I lost my job, but I didn't care. You were my whole world now. I left while you were out only so that I could steal some food for myself and return as quickly as possible to immerse myself back in the temple of you. It was my home now, too. I would worship at your altar until my dying breath. The days slipped into weeks, me watching you, all unawares as you would draw and paint and talk to your cat and do your homework and read your books. I turned my eyes away chastely whenever you changed your clothes. I was not worthy to see that part of you, but everything else I drank in eagerly. I lived off of your perfection, my beauty, my love, my goddess. But then came the awful day. Halloween. You brought someone back to our home to change and prepare for a Halloween party, and I heard the way he treated you. He didn't care about you the way I did. He wanted to rape you and leave you. I knew he did. Hot, bitter jealousy rose in my throat as I watched him put his hand on your leg, and you... You didn't stop him. You didn't tell him of our love. You let him look at you like a dog eyeing a piece of meat, and my blood boiled at the sight of you two together like that. You went to the party together and left me all alone in our apartment to see that the thought of you out with this stranger. And then you came home. Alone. Were you trying to ask for my forgiveness? You undressed and crawled into bed, and I didn't know if you were asleep yet, but I couldn't wait any longer. I crawled out of hiding and stood over you, your cat watching from the bed with profound disinterest. What to do now? I couldn't just let him have you. You were mine, my own, and no one else's. For the first time, I gave myself permission to touch you, to show you how my touch was different from his. My fingers lowered themselves so gently onto your face, stroking your hair, your impossibly soft skin. Your eyes flew open and I could see the breath that you were drawing in, but I couldn't let you scream and disrupt this moment. So my hand moved to your mouth and pressed down harder than I intended to. I'm so sorry if I hurt you or frightened you. I really didn't mean to. Just to cut off the sound from escaping. I'm not sure when it happened, but somehow my other hand was already on your throat, squeezing without my consent. Your eyes bulged, but you hardly struggled at it all. A and I thought maybe you understood who I was and what I was trying to do. I began to release my hand, but by then it was... It was already too late. Your arm flew out of nowhere, and a sudden pain exploded across my face from the spot where your fist collided with my cheek. I, I flew back, eyes raking across the ceiling as your legs swung around and your foot cracked up and into my jaw. I, I didn't know. I thought I knew everything about you, but I didn't know that you could do that. And suddenly it seemed there was so much I didn't know about you. In all the times I looked through all your things, how did I miss the knife underneath your pillow? Its long silver blade slid into my neck as softly as a kiss, and the pain that erupted through my veins burned 
like pleasure. My warm life spilled out over your hands without making a sound, and I felt myself slipping away from you. Your cat watched with eager attention as I sank down to the floor, your hand still gripping the knife buried in my throat. I gazed into your eyes and saw neither love, nor fear, nor hatred, merely determination. You knew, before I did, that you would survive this night, and I would not, and I didn't blame you. It was self-defense. You had to save yourself. My last thought was that if I had to die, I was glad it was with you. Silence. Darkness. Endless. Unrelenting. It is cold here. So cold. I do not know how time passes here, or even if it passes, I am floating in the void. It is peaceful. So peaceful. I only wish that you were here with me. I think I am alone, but I do not know for sure. Sometimes I think that I sense something like a faint rustling at the edges of my awareness. Soft as a sigh, disruptive as the sound of a page turning in an otherwise empty library. Perhaps there are other ghosts here with me. All I know for certain is that I am here and you are not. Perhaps that is what hell is. Stillness. The void. And then, there is a light. It is dim and small, or perhaps just far away, but it grows. Larger and larger, or perhaps just closer and closer, until I can see shapes within the light. Fuzzy and undefined at first, they become sharper as the light continues to grow, consuming my field of vision. It is morning, and I see you in bed, but you don't quite look like the you that I remember. Where once you were all long lines and smooth edges, there is now something rough and sharp and haggard about you. Your hair is different. The flowing brown locks have been hacked to something short and spiky and blue as a peacock's feather. Your fingernails are a purple so dark they might as well be black. Your eyes seem sunken, hollow in your newly sharpened face. You sleep on top of the disheveled covers wearing underwear, a faded band t-shirt with a silver five-pointed star necklace peeking out from underneath and nothing else. It makes you seem both bare and armored. You look haunted somehow. How long has it been since I have seen you? What has happened to you? Tell me that I did not do this to you. I look around the space. Can this be the same apartment where I last saw you? It, it looks completely different. Where your apartment used to be light and bright and clean, the space is, is dark and dirty and dingy, almost as though the walls themselves are smudged around the edges. There are posters of bands I have not heard of, cigarettes tumbling out of ashtrays, half-empty bottles of alcohol strewed carelessly around the room, and I think I even see discarded needles 
and used condoms strewn around like remnants of a bad dream. There are still candles and crystals and books, but they seem darker and more menacing. There are symbols I do not recognize, but some part of me tells me that they have a power I do not know. What happened here? I do not recognize this place, and I do not recognize the you that now inhabits it. And something else, something on the edge of my awareness. I know that you and I are not alone here. There seem to be others, other ghosts crowding in, jostling in the shadows next to me. We, we have slid through the cracks in reality, side by side, bumping up against one another in the light of this world in which we no longer have a place. Somehow, we are bleeding from the afterlife we inhabit into the life we left behind. But we do not belong there. What door has opened to allow us this glimpse into the world? Why here? Why now? Your cat jumps up onto the bed, meowing for your attention. You reach a hand out to her, petting her, asking her what she wants today. She meows back at you, and again, there is a moment where I almost think I can hear what might be a whisper, but not quite. You hold your breath for a long minute to listen, then release it as the moment passes. Your eyelids float open. For a moment, I think you were looking at me, but then your eyes continue on past me. You sit up in bed, reach for a nearby bottle of whiskey, sitting half empty. No, no, this isn't right, this isn't you. You are supposed to be perfect and pure and unspoiled. I search the room once more, looking for some trace of the girl I once knew, some clue of what happened that made you into this. I see a wall calendar featuring gothic imagery. It is October. The first 30 days have been crossed out, but the 31st is circled. Is, is that today? Halloween. I have always detested Halloween. The banality of it. The cheap thrills and slutty costumes on parade. I do not believe in ghosts and witches and demons. Did not. But now that I am a ghost, I suppose I must start believing in them. Ah, uh, but now, now it clicks. Today's Halloween, All Hallows' Eve, the day that the dead can walk the earth. If you believe that sort of thing, that must be why I'm here. Shuffling along with all the other ghosts. I'd forgotten that it was Halloween the day I died, too. Strange coincidence. So here we are. You and me, together again on this strange holiday, which is also the anniversary of my death, and I do not recognize you. But there is something about you that I still love. So what shall we do? Where shall we go? You seem to have acquired a newfound fondness for all things gothic. Will you be attending some Halloween parties in costume tonight? A concert, perhaps? The walls seem to indicate that you have a newfound appreciation for heavy metal music. Do you have to work, or 
Will you spend a quiet evening at home with me the way we should have done last year? You drag yourself out of bed, dig through one of the piles of dirty clothes strewn about the room, and drag out a pair of ripped, faded jeans. You find a pack of cigarettes in the pocket. Put one, uh, unlit, in your mouth and pull on the jeans. Oh, my love, you know you shouldn't smoke, but you grab a lighter and some keys anyway. Stuff them in your pockets of the thick leather jacket you pull on, slip on a pair of boots, and head toward the door. You stop just long enough to drop some food in a dish and put it on the floor, patting Cat's head on the way out. I don't know if my ghost is tied to you or to the place, but I decide I will do my best to follow you. There's no danger of you spotting me now, no danger at all. And I want to see what you do with your time now. In this rough, unfortunate new life you seem to have acquired. As soon as you get outside, you pause in the doorway to light your cigarette before venturing into the cold October wind. It is already early afternoon. You must have slept in very late, but now we are moving through the snowy city streets. Me trailing along behind you like a loyal dog. I cannot tell where we are going. The path is not one I recognize from the days when I used to follow you before. The cigarette you were smoking burns out and you light another one. Then we turn another corner and I realize we are back in front of your apartment. We have simply walked in a circle. I think that we will go back inside so that you can warm up, but no, you... Continue walking, taking a different, aimless path this time. Cigarette after cigarette burns away in your fingertips. Hours pass this way. You stop by a food truck for a smoothie, but drink it while continuing to walk. The sun sinks toward the horizon. What are you doing? Finally, you stop at a diner, asking the waitress for a cup of coffee and a stack of pancakes before she even shows you a menu. The pancakes are not gluten-free. This should not astonish me at this point, but somehow it does. Who are you? Then, across the diner, I see someone staring at you in a way I do not like. Many men watch you in a way I do not like, but there is something different about this one. He looks something like a traveling salesman and something like a Mormon missionary. Behind his glasses, his beady eyes bore into your forehead, but you do not seem to notice. I float towards him for a better look, and I see his hand twitching over a jagged pocket, and I know that there is something dangerous in that pocket. His lips flicker as though he's reciting something to himself, and his tongue occasionally darts out to wet his lips. I know without a doubt that this man means you harm. You are not the woman I once knew, but I still cannot let anything happen to you. I slide back to you, trying to think of how to warn you, how to save you. I wave my arms, but they are invisible. I shout and yell, but you cannot hear me. I search the shadows, trying to find some other ghost walking the earth tonight who can advise me on how to communicate with you. I see them lurking there, gliding through the cracks in reality, but none of them will help me. They shrink away if I get too close to any of them. 
I try to move something, anything in the physical world that will show you that I am there. Somehow I managed to knock over a salt shaker. Miracle. I can spell words out in the grains, but no, you're already digging in your pockets for a few crumpled bills which you drop on the table as you turn to leave. What now? The watcher pays his bill and gets up to follow you. I can sense the danger of this man. Know that he will kill you if he gets the chance. I, I have to show you somehow. I glide along behind you, shouting silent warnings, trying to hit things or tip things over so that you will turn back and see the man following you. You stuff your hands deeper into your jacket pockets and continue on. There has to be some way. I dart ahead of you, trying to see if I can scratch a message onto a poster hanging on the wall along the sidewalk, but then you do something so incredibly senseless, I cannot at first believe it. You turn into a dark, empty alley as the sun's light drains away. What are you doing, you foolish woman? How can you not know the danger you face? I dart around the alley, trying to find some way to warn you as the man turns in behind you. I see movement in a corner and dash towards it, hoping against hope that it will be someone who can save you. It is a cat. It is your cat. How was it here? I do not understand, but I remember hearing in a movie once that cats can see ghosts. Praying that this will prove true, I scream and flail and wave at the cat, trying to get her to see me and to warn you. She stares at me, unperturbed. She does not even meow. She sits on a box, folds her tail around her body, and turns her head to watch you. I follow her gaze and see that the man is now right behind you, slowly extracting his hand from his pocket, and you are staring at the cat. I cry out to every god that there ever was that you will turn and see him and somehow save yourself. He snarls something about filthy whores, and I know that it is too late that I will have to watch you die. But then, you turn lifting your leg and plant a kick squarely in his chest. It knocks the wind out of him, and then you are on top of him, punching and scratching and hitting like a fiend from hell. And in that moment, I realize that you could kill him at any moment you wished. But instead, you want to make him suffer. He resists at first, but he does not stand a chance against you. Neither. Neither did I. Then... You are satisfied. You remove a knife from your jacket pocket, and dimly I recognize that it is the same knife that killed me. You lift it high above your head and plunge it deep into his chest. I watch, dumbstruck, as his blood spills onto the pavement below. You have killed him, just like you killed me. I hear a faint sound behind me, a small meow and turn. Your cat jumps off her perch and trots toward you as you watch her approach. She bends down next to you and begins lapping up the blood, pooling all around the body. You reach out a hand and stroke her fur with a casual familiarity. I sense something next to me and turn. It is the man. 
His ghost, to be precise. He has joined me in the shadows. If I look closely, I can see you reflected in his eyes. Not you as you are now, but as he first saw you in the diner eating your pancakes. I look around at the other ghosts that slide through the shadows and glide through the cracks. If I search, I can make out all their eyes, and I begin to see more reflections. Reflections of you. Dozens of you. Shining back at me from dozens of pairs of eyes. Red hair, blonde hair, brown hair, long, short, and everything in between. Manic pixie dream girl, strung out rocker, shy girl, beauty queen, farm girl, whore. On the subway, at the gym, in the park, and somehow I know that my own eyes hold an image of you waiting in my line at the grocery store when I first saw you. You came looking for me, for all of us. You made yourself into whatever kind of woman each one of us would find irresistible. One that we would love or hate or need to possess. You drew us in, trapping us in your perfectly crafted web so that you could cull us. I turn back to look at you and find you gazing back at me at at us, at your horde of ghosts, your collection of Halloween presents reaching back through the years. You could see us all along. Welcome to the club. Thank you for listening to today's episode of The Wicked Library. The Wicked Library is a Ninth Story Studios production. NinthStory.com If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash wicked library. You can be a part of helping us keep the shows coming for as little as $2 a month. Those who contribute more get extra rewards. If you enjoy the Wicked Library, check out our sister show, The Lift, featuring many of the same authors, voice actors, and of course, scores by Nico Viteze of We Talk of Dreams. Complete credits and full show notes, including links and information from today's episode, can be found on thewickedlibrary.com. You can also find links to our Twitter, Facebook, and iTunes page. Until next time, go ahead, leave the lights on. It makes it easier to see your reflection in her eyes. ha 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 ha!